Caitlin Greaves, and I'm a current PGY2 solid organ transplant pharmacy resident at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Thank you so much for listening today as I discuss an article by Sabantino and colleagues titled Elevated Posaconazole Trough Concentrations Are Not Associated with an Increased Risk of Posaconazole Toxicity in Transplant Recipients. This article was published in Clinical Transplantation in October of 2022. To start off with some background information, posaconazole is a commonly used antifungal post-transplant for prophylaxis and treatment against Canada, Aspergillus, Cryptococcus, and Zygomyces. Posaconazole troughs are routinely monitored to ensure efficacy and avoid toxicity. The target goal trough is greater than 0.7 mg per liter for prophylaxis therapy and greater than 1 mg per liter for treatment of invasive fungal infections. Common adverse effects seen with posaconazole includes hepatotoxicity, QTC prolongation, neurotoxicity, cytopenias, and GI side effects. There's limited data looking at whether high troughs are associated with increased rates of adverse effects, such as hepatotoxicity and QTC prolongation. One study by Petit and colleagues did not find an association between posaconazole troughs and increased LFTs or QTC prolongation in patients with cancer. However, they did find an increase in LFTs as the number of hepatotoxic medications were increased. Specifically in lung transplant patients, Luong and colleagues showed that hepatotoxicity occurred in 51% of patients on voriconazole, and risk factors for hepatotoxicity were age less than 40 years old, cystic fibrosis, use of azathioprine, history of liver disease, and initiation of voriconazole within 30 days from transplant. Additionally, one study by Cornelli and colleagues showed that QTC prolongation occurred in 4% of patients on posaconazole. However, there's limited data in transplantation looking at whether high troughs with posaconazole are associated with increased rates of hepatotoxicity and QTC prolongation. The purpose of this study is to examine the relationship between posaconazole trough levels and adverse events. This study was a retrospective cohort study in lung transplant recipients who had a posaconazole level from July 1, 2016 to July 1, 2021. The patients who were included in the study met the following criteria greater than 18 years old and received posaconazole delayed release tablets or temporary IV posaconazole if they were unable to receive oral medications in the hospital along with a posaconazole trough. There were no exclusion criteria noted. The patients had a posaconazole trough drawn approximately one week after initiating therapy or after a dose change and it was drawn within two hours of the next scheduled dose. If a patient had a trough less than 0.7 mg per liter for prophylaxis or less than 1 mg per liter for treatment, then the dose was able to be increased by the provider. The primary endpoint of this study was to evaluate elevated posaconazole trough concentrations and changes in QTC and liver function tests using the CTCAE criteria, which was described as grade 1 being liver function tests greater than the upper limit of normal, grade 2 hepatotoxicity being three times the upper limit of normal for AST and ALT, or 2.5 times the upper limit of normal for ALKFOS, and 1.5 times the upper limit of normal for total bilirubin. Grade three hepatotoxicity was five times the upper limit of normal for AST, ALT, or ALKFOS, and three times the upper limit of normal for total bilirubin. And lastly, grade four hepatotoxicity was 20 times the upper limit of normal for AST, ALT, ALKFOS, and 10 times the upper limit of normal for total bilirubin. The secondary endpoint of this study was to determine patient-specific factors associated with elevated posaconazole levels. Of note, the study looked at concomitant hepatotoxic medications and QTC prolonging medications. 
For statistical analysis, the study used Pearson's correlation to look at the correlation between posaconazole troughs and LFTs and QTC prolongation. Additionally, they used sign rank tests to analyze the change in the patient's QTC. And lastly, logistic regression was used to help recognize aspects associated with posaconazole troughs greater than 2.5 milligrams per deciliter. In the end, 109 lung transplant recipients were included in the study. When looking at the baseline characteristics of the patients, the average age of the patients were 58 years old, 56% of the patients were male, and the median BMI was 23.1 kilograms per meter square. 9.3% of patients had baseline liver disease and the median baseline QTC was 442. The study looked at a total of 932 posaconazole troughs with a median of eight troughs per patient. The median trough level was 1.7 milligrams per liter with an interquartile range of 1.1 to 2.5. For the primary endpoint, they found no association between posaconazole troughs and liver function tests. 73.4% of patients experienced hepatotoxicity with 67.5% being grade one, 22.5% being grade two, and 10% being grade three. When looking at concomitant hepatotoxic medications, 26.6% of patients were on concomitant hepatotoxic medications, with 97.2% of the medications being an HMG-CoAce reductase inhibitor. Additionally, the median QTC while on posaconazole was 447, which was statistically significantly longer compared to the baseline value. However, there was no correlation between posaconazole troughs and QTC. Furthermore, they did not find any variables that were associated with a QTC above 500 milliseconds. For the secondary endpoint, the study found that the variables that were associated with posaconazole levels greater than 2.5 were age, female sex, concomitant hepatotoxic medications, baseline liver disease, and ALKFOS. When looking at the multivariate analysis, age, female sex, and baseline liver disease were independently associated with having an elevated posaconazole trough greater than 2.5. To conclude, this study shows that patients may be able to tolerate posaconazole at supertherapeutic troughs from a hepatotoxicity or QTC prolongation standpoint, meaning that the patient might not require as frequent monitoring of posaconazole troughs. However, due to the high rate of hepatotoxicity seen with posaconazole in this study, liver function tests should be routinely monitored and it is recommended to consider a dose reduction if the liver function tests start to rise with elevated posaconazole levels or if the patient experiences other adverse effects associated with elevated posaconazole levels. Patients that are elderly, female, and have baseline liver disease may be at a higher risk for higher posaconazole levels. I hope that this study provided valuable insight into posaconazole trough monitoring and dose adjustments. Now I wanted to discuss an interesting patient case that I saw during my heart transplant rotation. This patient case was regarding a double donation after circulatory death, also known as a DCD heart transplant. A month and a half prior to transplant, a 45-year-old male presented to the hospital with a cerebellar intraparenchymal hemorrhage and was found to have positive blood cultures for candida albicans. The source of candida albicans was unclear, but thought to be due to an LVAD driveline infection. The patient received four weeks of treatment dose fluconazole plus flucytosine induction therapy, followed by suppression therapy. However, a month prior to transplant, the patient experienced symptoms of a stroke and had a positive CT head for a new acute bilateral cerebral infarcts that was thought to be due from a septic emboli. The patient was started on another 10-day course of fluzidazine and was continued on fluconazole until the time of transplant. 
At that time, the team, along with ID, deemed that the patient was cleared for transplant due to the infection being appropriately treated. The patient received a DCD heart shortly after being cleared for transplant, with the patient receiving high-dose fluconazole post-transplant due to his previous driveline infection. On post-op day two, the patient presented with signs and symptoms of a stroke, and the CTA of the head showed a subarachnoid hemorrhage and multiple mycotic aneurysms. Up to this time, the patient had a well-maintained graft function. Unfortunately, on post-op day 13, the patient experienced an intracranial hemorrhage due to the rupture of a mycotic aneurysm. At this time, the patient was made comfort care only and experienced circulatory arrests. Due to the patient having preserved graft function prior to the hemorrhage, the newly transplanted DCD organ was then reallocated to another heart transplant recipient. As far as we know, this is the first heart transplant recipient who received a double DCD heart. Due to the transplant being the first of its kind, there were a lot of ethical considerations as well as logistical considerations that were discussed post-transplant. For example, for ethical considerations, our transplant team reached out to UNOS to determine if the original transplant donor's family needed to be reconsented for organ donation, as well as the recipient's donor's family. For logistical considerations, we had to consider the original donor's infections and the second donor's infections to determine a post-transplant anti-infective regimen. The second recipient did not have the risk factors that the previous donor had, but there was still a possibility that the candida albicans could have seeded in the heart from the blood when the mycotic aneurysm ruptured. Due to this fact, the patient received high-dose mycofungin bridge post-transplant due to increased liver function tests until he was able to be safely started on posaconazole per our standard protocol. Additionally, we had to consider serologies from both donors to determine appropriate opportunistic infection prevention regimens. For example, the first donor was cytomegalovirus, or CMV, and toxoplasmosis neg- seronegative. The second donor was seropositive for both, and the recipient was seronegative for both. After a lot of consideration, we decided to treat the patient as high risk for both CMV and toxoplasmosis. However, one important note is that if the donor serologies were reversed, and we did not consider the first donor's serologies, then the patient would have been considered low risk for CMV and toxoplasmosis when potentially they were high risk. Post-transplant, the patient's post-operative course was complicated by bleeding, which required a prolonged open chest. However, we were able to maintain our standard immunosuppression protocol. Overall, since transplant, the patient has been doing well with preserved graft function and no clinically significant rejection with his last biopsy being 1R. Overall, I thought that this was a really unique and interesting case that will stick with me through my transplant career. Thank you so much for listening today.